we are going to cover uh, Judges today. And with Judges, I thought one of the things I'd like to do is reference back when we, when we opened up uh, this mega series, we talked about uh, reading through and really digging into the Word. And so I thought I'd bring us back to this. And um, we covered uh, Joshua last week and uh, Judges this week. And so um, it's about an hour and a half, a little over, to read each one of those. So uh, just encourage you because today we are going to just cover an overview, basically, uh, of Judges. And so encourage you to take some time this week and dig into that. If you need some help with some time, I wanted to share a resource. I really appreciated how Dave shared some resources last week and uh, felt compelled too. So um, we are uh, embracing technology here. So I put some QR codes up. I'm not ashamed. You guys, I'd encourage you to take out your phones. Um, there is, uh, this is a great, basically it's a, it's a Bible, but it also has a really nice, it reads to you as well. And you can download books if you're offline. And um, so there's some QR codes if you want to go ahead uh, and scan them for both Android and Apple. Um, but I've, I've just been really enjoying this. It's helped me during my morning time to just spend uh, listening to the Word. And I can't think of many better ways just to, just to do that. I wholly admit that I built in a joke. Because if you scan the Apple, it'll take you to this picture. Because I just couldn't help myself. If you, read, if you go ahead and scan this one... It will take you to the, <laughs> the Apple store. So if you are coming into some difficulties, I'm sorry. I just wanted to have some fun with you. Um, so go ahead and scan this one if you have an Apple. All right, so one of the things that's on here and that is keenly tied to our vision statement is, and we're going to talk about it today, is to hear and obey. And that is key to following Jesus, as we, as a, as a church, we have said that our vision is what? It's to aspire to be a gathering of believers united in the practice of following Jesus and being fishers of men. There's a lot of action there, and that action really needs to have direction, and that's some of what we're going to unpack today as we go through Judges. Now, just as we go through the mega series, then, we find it incredibly helpful to place each book where it's at, uh, not just in the Bible, but in, in the history of time, author, and then in helpful perspective on when it's written. So um, as we cover Judges today, it takes a place uh, between 1380 and, and 1045. So if you look at the back sheet of your notes page, we're going to get to it in a second, but a really neat timeline that we'll reference a couple of times that walks you through that. The author is considered to be Samuel. Uh, he has several books written during this period. And this author isn't named in the text exactly, but church history has, has in, encouraged us to consider that to be Samuel. And, and that it was written uh, about the time between 1043 and 1004. And that's largely held because of some of the words and the phrasings that are using. It mentions several times how there was no king in Israel at that time. So there's a really good inference and a sound knowledge that we can derive from that that says at the time that this was written was the beginning of the time of the kings, which is again where Samuel was a very prolific writer. And that's kind of how we frame uh, not just the timepiece and when it happened, but who wrote it and when they did. And so then a short outline, we're going to look at the first couple of chapters as it provides us an awareness case and basically a, a, an example of what happens during the bulk of the book, which you may be familiar with. There's several stories in here 
uh, that build themselves for um, good children's Bible stories or more common ones. So Samson was a judge. We'll maybe talk about him a little bit today. You might hear his name again. But yes, that's the time uh, that we see Samson is in the book of Judges. And so to provide you perspective, um, there was 13 judges. Not all of them were covered in Judges. We're going to see some of them as we continue to move through in First and Second Samuel as well. And then we're going to close today talking about Israel's failures. And that's going to be built through the whole book uh, and bring us in for a landing. So let's go ahead and... As you, as you find yourself with an introduction, one of the things that I thought would be really helpful was where, where did we go or what was something that Dave covered last week? And so on your note sheet, it says right here, there's this great, I really, this is one of the impactful things that got me with Joshua uh, that we covered last week. It says, are you friend or foe? And that's Joshua asking an angel. And the angel replies, neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. And that... That aid with the Lord's army is how Joshua, through the book of Joshua, was able to go through and conquer the promised land. And we start here in the beginning of Judges with the death of Joshua. And while the conquest has been moving, it is not complete. And that's where we land with the death of Joshua, and Israel stops at the same time obeying God. Because they've, they start to lose a sense of direction. So let's dive in here. We're going to pick up in Judges, and I'm going to start in chapter 2, verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord has sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Dave talked some last week about how Israel swiftly moves through the promised land, and indeed they did. And I just mentioned the angel of the Lord's armies as they had that support behind them. And where they find themselves now is not that case. They find themselves very differently because of this. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. Remember, very distinctively, God gave the Israelites a commandment that as they went into the promised land, they weren't to try to allow, they weren't allowed to try to subjugate or do anything but take fully the land and remove the people that were there. And it was for a reason. Because as the Israelites turned and they started to disobey that, the Canaanites were present and we just read what started to happen. They served their gods. This is the very reason that God wanted to put them, to put him as a priority. 
right? And so whenever they marched out, we just read this 2.15, whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned. I struggled with that when I read that, because that seems like an impactful statement. The Lord, the Israelites are the Lord's chosen people. I think it causes us pause for concern, maybe, if we read a statement that says that the hand of the Lord was against them. And maybe we get stuck and don't know what to do with the rest of the book as we read that. Let me share a perspective with you. And I'd like to ask you to stand on these characteristics of God. Right? If we do, if we walk into the Bible in our faith with the knowledge and the assurance that these things are the very character of God, right? if we stand on that, then as we look at this, I think very easily that I can give you an example of a perspective and to put you at ease. So I have a demonstration here. I'm going to invite Stephen and Josh to come up. So if you guys could join me. So I warned them ahead of time, but I don't want anyone to take this to ego one way or the other. What we're going to do today is a demonstration. Josh is going to represent an immovable God. And Stephen is going to represent for us today the Israelites. And in a little bit, I will be the judges. So in Joshua, we hear from the commander of the Lord's armies that he is neither for or against them. He is who he is, right? We just saw the character of God, the strong and movable character of God. Go ahead, Josh. Is right here. And when we saw in, Israel, in Joshua, the Israelites were being supported as they conquered and they went forth, right? What has happened in Judges as we see it? The Israelites have turned and they're now against an immovable God. Do you see how the hand did not move, but the perspective did? God didn't move. He didn't change because he is who he is. His promises tell us so. But we get stuck sometimes because our perspective is on this push. But it's not, because Israel moved. So now during the time of Judges, the role of the Judges as we see today is to try to help Israel. They're going to try to turn Israel back. But Israel is not going to listen. Time and time again, they're going to turn back around. And we will see that they will just continue to push against the hand of God. And that's the cycle that we're going to dig into today is the cycle and the role of judges in Israel against a faithful and true immovable God. Thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate that. So now read that again for me and with me. And see as we even read and we continue in the next verse, whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them, as the Lord had warned them, as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. But look in the very next sentence, even as we we grasp that, right? And then what does the Lord do in his faithfulness? He still provides. It says the Lord raised up judges who would save them out of the hand of those who plundered them. So here we are introduced to the judges and their purpose, right? Is to reorientate the people and to turn them back to God. So as, as you read through in your homework this week, you'll see this same cycle of rebellion, let's start up here, of rebellion, that phrase that we just read, I hate to say it, but we will read it many times today, rebellion, and then retribution, again, where it shows that the hand 
of God is against the Israelites. And then the Israelites, they do repent, and there's restoration and rest. And so it looks kind of like this. But as we keep reading in our introduction, here's what we see. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. That is aggressive language, but albeit extremely appropriate. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. So we continue to see that same cycle just continue to drive Israel down. And that same phrase, the children of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, is repeated time and time again as we walk through the book. And Israel continues to fall as they turn away from God. So we are introduced to the judges. So go ahead and turn now, and you'll see this on the the back of your first note sheet. And I wanted to use this and uh, a little bit of supporting text from Judges 3 just to walk through some things that I think could be held as common connotations that maybe we would like to break down. One of the first things that you see is the history of how long this process took. And because in each of these stories, remember that rest at the end and and some of the process of the story, and that rest sometimes is as long as 40 or more years that says the Lord granted rest on the land. And so this is over the, the early history here as Israel comes in and continues to attempt to conquer the promised land. You also see something else, which is why I really like this, that the judges were regional in their capacity and effect. There was no totality here against the nation of is with the nation of Israel. We will see that later as you look down here in the time of the kings, right? David is able to unify the kingdom, and it is together for a while but we'll cover that later, everybody easy. But you see here a cast of characters that has some really interesting aspects to it. So we're going to go back in, please, and open up to uh, Judges 3. What I'd like to read is one of the shorter accounts of one of the judges. It's the first one that we're introduced to. It's this gentleman on the top left, Othniel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. There it is again. We barely moved out of our previous reading. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rithentheim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rithentheim eight years. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, And the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel, who saved them. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cush and Rithentheim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. 
and his hand prevailed over him. So the Lord had rest, so the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. So the flow of the cast that makes up the judges in this book, they are certainly different, but some key components and similarities that are shared with each one of them are here. In a, in a different version, in, in earlier references, it says, even Othniel. It gives you the hint that there was some limitations to this fine gentleman. And as we read each example of the judges, we see that while they do listen and obey God, they certainly are not perfect. And interestingly enough, there's different roles that some of them have. Not all of them come from the same or play the same role in, as a judge, right? Because remember that the purpose of a judge was to turn Israel, and sometimes that was done by very different ways. Often, and almost every time, it was done as a warrior, for they were still in conquering mode. But some of the judges were priests. There was even two that were prophets. And it says all of them were deliverers. Not in and of themselves, but we'll get to that in a second. We saw earlier when we looked at that chart, right, that they each have a regional effect. The people of God, remember how they moved into the promised land. Just, just last week, we talked about how as one body, they moved into the promised land. As they turn away from God, they find themselves continually fractured. And so as a result, these judges have limitations and that they're only able to realize back to God some of the regions that they are able to affect. And when they do so, it's very clear, the text is very clear, and the judges are too, that it is not their hand in which they are working, that it is the Lord's. And each time there is this or very similar phrasing, that we see in verse 10 here, the spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. It's not by his own hand that he did it. It's the spirit of the Lord was upon him. And not only is the spirit of the Lord upon him, but we also know that our faithful God was the one that provided. Look at just verse earlier. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. And so in these cases, the judges are indeed able to turn the direction of the people back to God. His people respond back to him. And each time, we see that they are delivered and provided rest. But that rest, because we, I just said each time, and we already know, we've seen how judges cycle it is temporary. But this is an awesome piece right here. As you look at this slide, watch what happens. And I promise you that this isn't contrived because this is the way that the book is formed. Right? These points here, especially as you look at the role of the judges, point us exactly to the scarlet thread of this week. And that each of these instances, as we see the judges perform and their limitations, we realize that these are hints of the totality of the fulfillment of the perfection of Christ, right? Christ is a perfect individual, 
And he doesn't have one of those roles. He has all of those roles. Each of the roles that we saw that the judges may bring to the table, he culminates all of them. And as we see the final fulfillment of Christ, there is no regional effect. No, no. There is a total effect across the world. And we see the Spirit still at work, but now instead of being filled with the Spirit to be able to do the work, Christ is one with the Spirit. And the judge, right? Do you remember when Stephen and Josh were up here? The indicator for the judge was the call out of the people, and he could see where they were going. And he was able to turn them for a little while. Right? But he was just able to read, he or she, there was a female judge too, Deborah, was able to turn back for just a little bit because they were only able to redirect. While pointing to God, they were only able to redirect. They were only able to do so much physically with the Israelites. Christ doesn't have that limitation. And he's able to not just move physically amongst the people, but to affect and judge their hearts. The judges were able to observe and judge the actions, right? That's why they're judges. We're comfortable with that because they're judging the actions of the people of Israel. But Christ judges the heart. And then as a result of that, we are fully redeemed and delivered to a permanent rest. Now, with some of the shorter books, I think we're going to get a chance to read like the whole way through. Um, but I won't have time today to read more accounts of the judges but the idea with that introduction and studying Othniel, our first judge, was that while the stories may be more or less elaborate, the cycle is the same. And so as you read through them, try to look and find those different points in each one of the judges' stories. And so I wrote them out there on your notes page so that you can look for them. The reading of the judges culminates with some concluding chapters at the end of the book. And I'd like to ask you those some questions before we dig into them. Some associations, if you will. Do you guys know what this is? It's a compass, excellent. Good, passing so far. Do you guys know what this is? It is a compass, look carefully, please. Oh, oh, I heard it, I heard it. Don't be afraid to say it. Thank you, it is Jack Sparrow's compass. What is special about this compass, Mr. Spinard? Shows him what his heart desires. This compass is unique in that it doesn't point to a true north. It points to whatever the holder's heart wants. And I thought this would be another example that we could look at to understand that this is the very thing that Israel is doing every time we read, right? What does it say? It's the people did what was evil in the heart of the Lord. Because they're doing what they want. They've abandoned the guiding principles that God has given them. So in, in Judges 2.10, right before I started reading this morning, it says, And all the generations also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done from Israel. This is 2.10, the very next verse. And then the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, 
and serve the Baals. And that's where we started to read this morning. If this is the heart and the inclination of the people of Israel, I don't think it's that hard to believe that the verse that follows is what follows. Because they don't hold a real compass in their hands. So I'm going to read to you two excerpts from the end of the Judges. And I will warn you that they are not for the faint at heart. If they are true and worth reading, they are in the word of God. And I present them to you now. Please listen in. And he said, this is a gentleman that we've been introduced to earlier in the chapter. And you'll, you'll see what he did in a second. You take my gods that I made and the priest and you go away with them. And what do I have left? How then do you ask me, what is the matter with you? What has happened is an Israelite has established his own little church, his own temple. And that's what he's referencing here. Look, he made them and he just, he found a Levite that was willing to work for him. And he said, you, you are my priest, my own personal priest. This is the form of idolatry that we find ourselves in. And so other Israelites, acting in complete hubris and jealousy, have decided to still his made-up gods and his assigned priest. What is the matter with you that you come with such a company? And the people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you and you lose your wife and the lives of your household. And then the people of Dan went away. Well, that's a great family dispute right there. Whew. Don't talk or I'll kill you and your family. That's where we've gotten to. They're squabbling over made-up gods. Ready to kill entire families. Just to steal them. Just a chance to steal a made-up god. Chapter 19, verse 22. And as they were making their hearts merry... This is a, a different scenario that we'll see in a second. As they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door, and they said to the old man and the master of the house, bring out the man who has come into your house that we may know him. It's very straightforward biblical language for sex, by the way. I'll just say that. And the man and the master of the house went out to them and said to them, no, my brothers, do not act so wickedly since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and this, his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the, man, the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them, and they knew her and abused her all night long until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house, where her master was, until it was light. After her master arose in the morning, and he went and opened the door of the house, and he went on his way, behold, there was his concubine laying at the door of the house, with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. And he put her on the donkey, and the man arose up and went to his home. The story goes on to share that she didn't answer because she was dead. And he went and carved up her body and sent it as a warning to different points of Israel. No one 
had any kind of morality in this story. No one. It should be painful to read this story, to see what is happening to the people of God. There's to be God's chosen people. But look what they've done, right? In the first one, these first two bullets, they've completely misunderstood who God is or how a God is. And they've contrived some kind of super artificial relationship that a God would be made and serve them. Oh, and then in the second story, the things that we see, right? If this is what we have, this, is, this discontent, strife, idolatry, rape, civil war? Guys, can I tell you something? This story, while at the end of the book of Judges, and we talk about how far and how deep the cycle goes, it's right here in the very beginning of our time. It is meant to culminate and to show the depravity that we find ourselves in when we read through Judges. And I am glad if you are joining us today, I hope that you feel encouraged to be here. You might not find this word encouraging, but please stay with us. Please read on, because it is okay that the book ends this way, because it is a statement of reality. But know, though, that the story doesn't end here. But the story continues, and it's relevant. Can I share with you something very personal that may seem trivial, but pains me some? So I'm from Pennsylvania originally. I grew up there. And in 2016, the state of Pennsylvania decided to change their motto. Do you know what it is? It's right up there. It's pursue your happiness. I'm sorry, if that doesn't sound a lot like some of the phrases that we read today, I'll be darned. How does that not stand as a warning to us all right now? Again, this was at the beginning, right? Who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Think about how we started. Write that here and obey. First, they started, stopped obeying, and then they stopped even hearing. They didn't even know who God was by the end of the book of Judges, as we're reading. And this is the very last verse in Judges, and it says, In those days, the king of, there was no king in Israel. There was no authority, no earthly king, and not even a recognized Lord, the king of Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They pursued their own happiness. Would you guys pray with me? God, it brings me humility to read your word. God, and hear of the stories of Israel and the history of what they did, God, and even through all of that, your faithfulness. And as we understand more about the judges and their role, God, to turn the people back to you, God, we look for that kind of a response even in our culture today, God, even with us, that we would hear and obey you, that we would not pursue our own happiness, God, that we would follow you. 
seek you with our own heart, God, with our, God, just every fiber of our being. God, I thank you for the warnings that are in the book of Judges, and I thank you for your continued example of faithfulness and provision, God, and how even in the darkness of these examples of judges that we can see what you are setting up, the mighty work of redemption that you are setting up for. And I thank you for that for my own life, God, and for those in this room, and for those as we, God, look to build your kingdom, that we would get to be, God, ambassadors of the provision that you give that is so much better than seeking our own happiness. Amen. Amen.